0: To another uh, Battle College podcast. This is podcast number three, uh, which was recorded on uh, January 21st, 2013. Today, we're going to be doing um, sort of a historical fighting perspective, um, you know, things that have gone on in the past, how they compare to now, et cetera, et cetera.
1: It's be a lot of fun. And, uh,
0: yes. And to do that, to help us out with that, we have Denver Boulder fighting legend, Matt Puccio. <laughs> Hi, Matt.
2: I hardly can live up to that. Oh, so no, no, air, no. Are
0: you comfortable with the, uh, the Not, fighting legend moniker? No, no. no! That
1: gives me far too much credit. Oh, but, but you have been built up in my mind way before I ever met you. Like, as this fighting legend, you know, when I was back up in Greeley living with William, he always talked about you and a few of the other, you know, old, old-fashioned old legends. So I, I, I know you don't see yourself that way, but I think there are people out there that definitely do see you that way.
0: Besides, humility is one of the signs of a true legend, so...
2: Well, I was always the guy who came in sort of third or second in the fighting, you know, tournaments or whatnot. So you'll have to get some of the first place guys in
0: here. I don't think they play anymore. Well, Tom does. It's uh, well, and he, but he doesn't tournament anymore. I think that's what. Okay. And but uh, yeah, well, I'm I'm we will, I'm sure we'll hit all and all of that in, in just a bit. Sure. Here. So. So yes, our guest of the week, Matt Puccio. Um, Mike, do you want to start us off with some of the. Are questions for Matt?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, was IFGS your first LARP, and when did you sort of get into IFGS? Like, how long have you been doing this? Sure. So
2: it was my first LARP. Um, You know, played D&D as a kid, and I don't remember exactly how my friends and I came across IFGS, but I went to high school in Denver, and so in 1983, yes, that dates me you can kind of figure out approximately what my age is that's when my life.
1: wife was born that, that year. <laughs> um,
2: yeah one of my friends todd grayson somehow came across this thing called ifgs up in boulder and there was this game called dane and he got the uh the rule book in fact i have the copy from 1983 in front of me here what version of the rules was that back it then? was version three okay um Third edition, tenth of March, nineteen eighty-three. So we're coming up right on what the thirtieth anniversary of this particular version of the rules. And yeah, we we went to uh, some NPC practices a couple weeks before the game, and you know I remember going up there the Friday night. It was a it was a two day all weekend, you know, two nights. So Friday night there was gaming, Saturday Saturday night gaming, and then Sunday. It was a big, massive undertaking and it had this huge impact on me, you know, just in terms of this is so cool getting out there, doing this stuff in in real life and uh, lots of memorable experiences for me. So, yeah, that's that's when I started. Um, I
0: was kind of didn't go 83 during one of the big booms. Was it during a population Um, boom?
2: You know, I was just looking at the list of games run on the wiki And so the game started in 81. um, And the, the first real game was called The Truing, and it was written by John Cade in August of 81. And this, that was sort of in the day when they still really hadn't figured out what they were doing. And like, Magic Users still had wooden staves and some of the fighters were using metal sabers that were covered with a little bit of foam and stuff like that Um, (laughs) fun. And so like wizards wouldn't actually fight. They were just spell casting. So I think by 83, they had sort of figured out the, the actual rules and in 82, in fact, they ran, it looks like two, four, like six games, six or seven games. So by 83, you know, they kind of knew what they were doing foam weapons. I remember making my first sword, um, PVC core. I sure. literally took open celled foam that I bought at like the mattress store and wrapped it around. There was none of this cutting or anything. It was just wrapped around and taped down one edge. And it's, then it's
1: funny. I mean, I think all of us. Well, not maybe not all of us, but I definitely went through the same sort of weapons back in the day when I was mm-hmm. starting. Like mm-hmm. we had we had not wooden bamboo shinies. But then the rest of ours were all these PVC core with open cell couch foam with a little bit of duct tape. So it's just, it's exactly. just funny that we all sort of came from the same place. And
2: and the worst part about that sword, I remember it was um, I covered it in, you know, some kind of cotton cloth and then I spray painted it gray. (laughs) And so not only was the the cloth covering, you know, horrible when you got it was like sandpaper when you got hit by it, but it smelled like this terrible cheese. So it it became known as the cheese
0: sword. Wow. Yeah, I actually remember one of my first uh, tabards ever. I, I spray-painted the symbol on the front, and that was just a terrible, terrible idea.
1: Sure. So I, I just recently posted a picture of me on my first LARP. Do you mm-hmm. have any pictures from back then that you have, like, lying around? I'm just curious.
2: Uh, So I do, and and a few years ago when I was maintaining the DB website, I – actually, when I redid the – society side i I scanned in some old pictures but i don't think i scanned in the earliest ones that i have which are from uh, it would have been it was a game i think that i played with scott van kirk scott and maria who don't play anymore but were big forces in ifgs back then and um i'll try to dig those up and see if i can scan them in and post them up on
1: the Facebook site. No, or I'd, I'd love to see some pictures of that, side. yeah, it's sort of how it all began.
2: There's a couple pictures that I found for the Society site, uh, on I think it's on the history page, that are from really olden days, like, you know, 82 or 83 um, of a few people, so... Anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool to see that stuff because not only do you see the, oh my God, 80s hair sort of thing, but, uh, you know, I remember that costume or
0: all the tabards have shoulder pads. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, so, so you said you got really jazzed when you first, uh, came into it. What, what is it you like about LARPing?
2: Um, well, certainly I like the fighting. I mean, that's always been a big part of it for me, um, and, you know, I, I love night games. I like getting out mm-hmm. there in the middle of the night, sneaking around, um, you know, attacking people at, at night, having night encounters, going through crypts at night. Um, so obviously we don't run a ton of games that happen at night. But when we do, I, I really enjoy those. Um, I just I like getting out and doing stuff. I like being active and, you know, I enjoy tabletop RPG and, and board games and stuff like that, too. But. There's always something to me about actually getting out there and doing it. And and the sure. games that have had the physical challenges in them, I really enjoy those.
0: Nice. Um. So do you, you haven't, we haven't seen a lot of you lately. Do you think of yourself as, as still active or as sort of semi-retired no, or? I, yeah, I think
2: of myself as semi-retired. I mean. I came out and NPC for like three games for you guys a couple years ago, and then sure. McMillan managed to get me on his team for the last price game at the end <laughs> of last year. and then I played in the
0: uh, the nighttime the, minigame
2: the, yeah the nighttime minigame a few months ago, and that was fun so uh, yeah, I definitely think of myself as retired and you know I've got other hobbies that I do now in addition to this kind of thing. And, and it is one of those things where it takes a lot of sort of work and a lot of time to, to LARP and do build your costume and build swords. And so, you know, I think as you get older, um, you know, you don't have any kids, especially for people who have kids. Uh, as you get older and you have other responsibilities and your spouse has other interests and responsibilities, you tend to get, you know, pulled away from, things a little bit. But, you know, IFGS and LARPing in general definitely hold a special place in my heart. And when I get a chance to do them, I, I really
1: enjoy it. Yeah, I've definitely okay. noticed the whole kid thing. Like, as, as, you know, I also don't have kids, uh, my wife and I, but uh, but William does. And, and as we sort of grow older and those people with kids, definitely the time allocation sort of gets more complicated for them, I've noticed. Um, they still make it work, but it, it's definitely a new challenge, something that, you know, when we were in our 20s, we, we didn't have to worry about too much.
2: And and the other thing that I've noticed is it's sort of this sinusoidal waveform. So you you have this peak of activity, then people start having kids, and for a few years, they're sort of out of it or they're diminished activity. And then as their kids start to get older and old enough to play, they get sort of pulled back into it. So, you know, you see people like Bill Cowern and Brandon and, and other people who have kids that are older now that are, you know, sort of involved in some way as their kids play the game
0: yeah sure so um you you mentioned your spouses have different interests so you're so camels also used to be pretty involved do you, yep. do you feel like you pulled each other away or one of you sort of left first and how, how did that all work i mean what's what's the dynamic there
2: yeah i don't i i think to some degree we got we both got burnt out we were both very involved in sort of the the running side of the chapter. I was on the sanction committee. We were both on the board for a long time. I, I did not only the website, but for a number of years before Dan Frazier picked up the melee, we were doing the melee. Kim was the treasurer. Um, so we were, you know, we were doing a lot for w- with the chapter. And I think as time went on, you know, we started getting more into our careers and and I think it wasn't we pulled each other away from it. We just happened to sort of be at the same place at the same time. And sure, um, that's that's what happened.
0: OK. And uh, here back to the, the question we sort of hinted at at the beginning. So sure. how do you uh, how do you react to this sort of position you have now as like the, the legendary great fighter from the old days? Well, it hey, has so much to it, right? The old days, and I know
2: I'm so old. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I mean, I I guess I don't. I I sort of don't believe it. I think there are maybe a few people who know my name, but you know, I guess I I, I can see where it comes from because back when I was first starting, uh, let's say in '87, when I really started playing, because between '83 and '87, I didn't really do anything, and then '87 '88, I really got involved. There were names, you know, like John Cade and Paul Hayes and Fred Welch and a number of other guys who were n- known as those were the elite fighters back then. And, you know, everything I learned, I sort of learned from those guys. Sure. Um, and so I can understand, you know, they, they probably feel the same way that I do. They feel like I, I wasn't all that great or whatever. Um so I, I do think that there's a bit of um you know a, a legendary
0: expansion
1: legend going on going on there but uh yeah so okay. a little bit of a historical perspective and, and this is something that i don't have a really great judge of but i would i'd love to hear your thoughts on it How, do you feel like the fighting has gotten better or worse in in general and and why um You know, I've only been doing this for about five or six years, so, you know, it's hard for me to really see a historical perspective over a long time, so I'm just interested in in sort of your view on that.
2: Right. So I think uh, you two guys in particular have brought something to the local IFGS fighting scene that never had been there before at all, ever, Um, which is sort of this, I mean, heck, you're doing these battle casts, you're teaching people how to fight, you're having... um, you know I, a couple of years ago when i started getting back into IFGS, I went to that um thing over at the park over here in erie um i can't remember what you called it but it was it oh was yeah. Team Te- team yeah, yeah team fighting thing team 1 1 yeah team fighting one one and i think nothing like that ever happened now now what we did have back in the old days was fighter practice twice a week and sometimes three times a week.
1: And I would think that would balance out. I mean, it seems like we're doing these things, but it seems like that's the one thing you guys have that we never had is is these constant fighter practices.
2: That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, I that was my exercise, right? Back in college and whatever, I used to ride my bike a lot back then. Um, but the, the real exercise that I got was at, at weapons practice and then on the weekends and the games. And um, so I think there was a lot of that, but it wasn't there wasn't a lot of discussion about, you know, the actual technique. Sure, you'd have, like like I said before, I learned a lot from Fred Welch and John Cade. And so that was sort of individual tutoring. Um, But I don't think that there was this methodical thought process that was going into it. And these guys sort of came from a fencing background. So, you know, a lot of the fighting techniques were, related to fencing, and there were people who used shields. Tom and I were sort of some of the primary shield users. There were certainly others. As time went on, um, people started making bigger and bigger shields, and I don't know if we're going to talk about that later, but um, you know, like by the mid-'90s, people were using these coffin shields, we called them, because they were as big as coffin covers, and eventually the FRC had to put rules in place to, to sort of limit that. Um, but, you know, we used to use round shields quite a bit. In fact, my shield that I use, have used for 25 years is the same exact core. It's one of those metal sleds.
1: The metal sleds, yeah. Yeah. The plastic ones don't hold up quite as well, but I've seen those metal ones stick around for 10, 15, 20 years.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I, I bought mine the very first game that I played in. Um, I went and found a, you know, a metal sled at, uh, you know, a thrift store and, Kim's got the same one. Um, and it's been there forever. You know, it's lasted forever.
0: Sure.
1: <laughs> so uh, it seems like these days that the veteran players, they don't seem to care so much about the fighting. And has it always sort of been that way? Do you think that players, you know, I mean, and it's, it's definitely not all of them, but it seems like a lot of the older players that still play, they come out for the role-playing or whatnot. But yeah, the, the fighting is just not a big part of that. Has it always sort of been that way?
2: Um, I don't. You know, I think to some degree, I think it's an age thing. You know, certainly I, I'm 44 years old and I'm definitely slower than I was when I was 24 years sure, old.
1: Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We all are.
2: And so I think when you talk about veteran players coming back to the game, it, it may be a question of being out of shape or maybe a question of, um, you know, that's not there. You know, they've sort of developed their mental skills over the last 20 years rather than their physical skills. I mean, I still love to do physical stuff and I love to swing on ropes and actually climb up things and, and do all that kind of thing. I think I just, you know, it's kind of like in, in cycling or, in, you know, in, in some other sports, there's sort of the master's category and and you know, the, the physical challenges aren't, aren't quite the same. It's not to say that we can't do those things, but, uh, um, I don't know. I think in terms of looking back historically, there were, like I say, the, the those guys that I learned from were were always better than some of the younger people. Um, mostly just cause they had so many years
0: of experience in fencing and doing other things. So mm-hmm. I, Go that ahead. actually leads pretty well into the next question, which is, do you feel like at different times, the best fighters have been better or worse? I mean, have you seen sort of peaks and troughs? Like, and actually, this is a side question you can answer. Like, do you remember a time when people like Tom Matthews just weren't very good?
2: Um, there
0: has yeah. he just always been good?
2: I, I think he's always been good, at least since I've known him. Um, There are... There you definitely see people who come into the organization and very quickly uh, become more proficient at it than than expected. And so they sort of rise to the top of the, the, you know, the weapons tournaments and and that kind of thing. Um, But I don't know, some of some of my memory fades with with a, you know, as you know, somebody for 15 or 20 years, you sort of forget what were they like at the very beginning when you first. So it's hard for me to say.
0: Yeah, and uh, this is sort of a, a follow-up both to this one and the the question about veteran players not f- caring about fighting very much. It we, we almost never have, like, tourneys. Like, the last real tourney I remember was the one you ran at the 25th anniversary. Okay. Right? That was the last one where it felt like people showed up to fight. People, you know, Tom Matthews fought. And, you know, we had some people who who had some real stick show up to actually try and win it. And we just don't have those anymore. Do you? Do you have any thoughts on on what happened? Is it just the people I, who like to run tourneys left, or I mean?
2: Well, I I do kind of wonder if just sort of the interest level or the interest areas of of the people who like IFGS now, if it's if it's been shifting. And I don't know whether that's true or not because I haven't been active, you know, recently. Sure. So, for example, back in the 90s, there were a bunch of uh, IFGS conventions, uh, Once Upon a Con. And I think we ran four of them in a row, or maybe there were there was one year, and then we ran three of them the, the consecutive years. Uh, people came, you know, there were like 500 people at these conventions. So this is back in the heyday of IFGS when there were chapters all over the place, and, um, you know, we had people from... Oklahoma, especially the Oklahoma and the Texas folk and the California folk, you know, those were very, very active areas. We had people on the East Coast, I think Atlanta and so on. And there were big weapons tournaments, um, you know, different categories there. And there were enough people to fill them. So there were I, I remember in particular one where I think I got to the final round and it was Paul Hayes was running. It was like a master's class tournament and. As a result, he gave – you had to use the weapons provided by him, and he sort of, at the last minute, would change the rules or give you some weird weapon. And I think Mike Gaifman and I, who's from the SoCal chapter, um, got into the finals, and he forced us – Paul forced us to use these six-inch-long daggers. Sure. Fun.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, that, that actually the – masters, the, the Masters category now mm-hmm. is, is a joke category, right? Okay. Like the finals of Masters, the last time I saw a Masters in Turning, it right. was with bread rolls. Okay. You know, it's just, it, it, it has gone from being, you have to be a master of all weapons to whatever goofy crap we can come up with.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's just the, the, you know, has has the population of IFGS changed and maybe the people who are really into fighting are going and doing things like AmpGuard. uh and the people who are more into the role-playing are gravitating towards IFGS. I don't know if it's that, or is it... I mean, you guys, like like I said, you, you two in particular have, in my mind, brought a lot of sort of the science of fighting back to the IFGS. And I, so I don't know, you know, from your perspective, if you've seen people just aren't as interested in it, or if... Um, when they do have a chance to get out, they actually want to play game instead of doing fighting, or, you know, I don't I don't know.
1: I think also it might have to deal a little bit with um, a little bit of lack of the mid-tier fighters. Um, we, we have a lot of really good fighters right now, and we have a lot of newer people that have started in the last three or four years, and it seems like we haven't quite filled in yet, or we're still in the progress of filling in that mid-tier of fighters. And I think maybe once we see that, maybe we'll see more attorneys and things like that come through, but it's probably not quite as fun as... You know as uh for for a whole bunch of newbies to fight people that have been fighting for t- ten twenty years
0: well right. my also, my other guess would also be that because we don't have those fighter practices, you know it just it the chance for those novices to get to mid or advanced level is you know it's it's much harder for them to do sure. that
2: right yeah, because you can't really hone your craft very well during a game i mean you've you've got so many other things going on, obviously it's important application of your skills during a game but you know the 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 basics i I mean honestly the way that you fight at least the way that i learned to fight is very different from fighting in a game you know yes weapons practice one-on-one where occasionally you'll do ditch battles or bear pits or or some other kind of activity um it just it's really different so I think the weapons practice, you're sort of building strength, you're building the muscle memory of, of swinging the sword, you're building, you know, the techniques of knowing how to hit people and how to block and, and those things which are really important to fighting um, because during a during a game, it, it, it comes down more to your reaction and, you know, what did you remember to do and do you remember how to block because somebody's also casting <laughs> a spell at you and you're also being chased down by <laughs> somebody. Yes. So.
0: Um, and uh, as far as shields go, this uh-huh. is a question we had a while ago. Do you feel like there's more shields now, less shields now, or it's just sort of, it depends on what decade you're looking at?
2: I, well, I don't know now. I mean, you know, my, my current experience comes from NPC for you guys over the last couple of years, primarily. Mm-hmm. So... It seems like there are quite a few shields. It seems like even going back, as I say, into the 90s, there was quite this explosion of shields. Um, and then the the rules changes happened where there was sort of a perimeter maximum. Um, you know, people were coming up with these. I, I remember one guy in, in Colorado Springs had this shield that was at least five feet in diameter. It was, it was like effort <laughs> something and super light, but it was gigantic and. He walked into this game and everybody just looked at him and said, You know, this is ridiculous. And there were a couple games where I remember Bill Daniel wrote a game that was the Temple of Set that he deliberately had. It was an indoor sort of dungeon crawl game, but he deliberately had a couple of um, passageways that were of a certain size and there was no way you could get the shields through. And, you know, th- there had been games where the GM would sort of let the players pick up their shields on the other side of the dungeon if it was like a black plastic dungeon (laughs) thing and you know he was adamant no if they can't take their shield in it's you know it's out (laughs) yeah it's gone when they come back um so there was there was a little bit of a backlash i would say against shields at one point because they were getting out of control um just in terms of size but I, I do believe that early on um, there, were, you know, there used to be a lot of people who used staves. Um, there were some people who were really good with staves and they weren't just sort of the magic user types. Um, there's a guy named Dirk Havorka sure. who, and uh, Necro Nexus and, you know, some of those other games. And he was a master stavesman. Um and then
1: that would know, be great other... to see because we just sort of trashed Staves in our last battle ca- uh, yeah. college bo- uh, fight cast that we did. So.
2: <laughs> I saw that, yeah. yeah. So I think you know some of that uh, knowledge has been lost because I think um, you know people tend to say, oh, you know, it's a magic user that's using a staff and they're just going to use it sort of to defend. But another person, my wife is a great staff user. Um, now she's a she's a thief, so she tends to sneak in and do backstabs, and she has stories about, you know, getting off seven or eight or ten, I don't know, she'd have to tell you how many backstabs in a combat, um, but she has used a staff, and that's her primary weapon, for, you know, for 25 years. Yeah.
1: So, um, what do you think about the IFGS fighting in, in general, and what I'm sort of asking about is, you know, what are your thoughts on the, the current system, the intensity, the amount of fights in a game, do you think that it should change, do you think it's, has it changed over the years, or um, is it sort of at a really good place? So
2: I think that the rules and this this if you'd asked me this question 20 years ago, it'd probably be different. Sure. Yeah. I think that the the games now, the the rules of the IFGS are much more focused on the combat aspect of the game. and I would love to see more um, outside of combat abilities, outside of combat skills that could be used, social things. Um, so I think that, you know, we finally honed and finally tuned the rules about fighting. And while there are lots of problems with the IFJS rules, uh, which I won't go into right now. Um,
0: you that guys, comes later.
2: Yeah, that comes later. You guys are sort of working on some of that stuff. And, you know, we worked on something called the purple rules for a number of years and, you know, all kinds of alternate things. Um, I, I mean, I think that the games essentially are focused too much on fighting to, to my liking. Um, Hmm. And again, maybe that's because I'm getting older and slower. (laughs) Um, I, you know, maybe it's because of the rules. Like I, I just personally don't think that people can take damage properly. Like I don't, it's not that they're cheating. I think it's just really, really hard for people, especially in a higher level game to actually count the damage and take it and do all the calculations and do all of that stuff. And so I think that, you know, an ideal rules system would, would sort of take that into account. But I also think that the game designs could take that into account. Now, having said that, I love the fighting in IFGS and I love IFGS games with lots of fighting in them. Um, I just think that there should be a balance, you know, of different kinds of activities in, in IFGS. And I think, you know, in a lot of games, there are um, certainly you guys run fighting heavy games. I've loved those games. I've been exhausted in those <laughs> games. <laughs> I've been beaten down in those games. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I've sort of contradicted myself in a little uh, in a way. But, no, no. Uh, and,
1: and actually, this is this is a great, leads into another question I had. So in your real life, you're a you're a game systems designer. Uh, that's that's what you've done. You you worked on games like Lego Universe and and whatnot, and. Do you feel like you take some of what you have done in your in your professional life and do you ever think about it in terms of IFGS like oh I'm 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 writing this game or I wish this game would have you know x in it and and if I was writing it as a video game maybe this is how I would design it do you ever do you ever think about IFGS games in that way
2: Yeah I I almost take it the other way like uh, I almost take my IFGS experience as background for my professional game design experience Okay so I think I say, you know, these are the things I've done in IFGS. Here are things that have worked. You know, I was on the Fantasy Rules Committee for a number of years, and we were putting out the 6.5 edition, I think. And I think about the discussions we had and what were the hits and misses things, questions that we had to answer. And I often apply those those lessons that I've learned in IFGS to, you know, other game systems. Right. Um, you know, certainly think about it the other way, too, you know. Um, thinking about some of the ideas that uh, fourth edition D and D has had with, you know, uses per combat uses per day, one shot, th- those kinds of things. Could we do that with IFGS? You know, we thought about, like I mentioned the purple rules before, which was a an attempt that a group of us made in Boulder to come up with a new rule set. we spent a lot of time I and mean, we met for, I don't know, like a year and a half working on this and it never really got anywhere, but, um, there were lots of things that we took from board games, from video games, and so forth when we were thinking about those things. So, so I think it's it's a network. You know, there's no sort of one direction or the other. It's it's sort of this web of of all of the things I've learned about gaming and in all of the
1: aspects. And based sure. on what you said earlier, I think that. Um... IFGS definitely has the, the, there's a chance of it going too, too much like 4th edition. I think one of the problems with 4th edition D&D is they made it, you know, very video game-esque, very MMO, and they had a lot of backlash where there wasn't enough role-playing, there wasn't enough outside-of-combat type abilities. Um, and so now they're reverting sort of back to maybe a, a, an earlier version of Dungeons and & Dragons. And I wonder if IFGS could have that same problem, that if you focus too much on the in-combat stuff, you know, do we have enough balance of the out-of-combat uh, abilities and whatnot
2: sure and and you know it's uh well I won't spoil one of your questions cuz I know one of the questions that's coming up uh, the the five questions
0: okay and is there is there anything else you wanted to say about fighting about IFGS or retirement or anything like that
2: uh not at
1: this point okay yeah <laughs> So next we will get into the five questions. And uh, this is the five questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, And uh, hopefully your answer can be short, can be long, can be whatever you'd like. And uh, yeah, so Will, why don't you start us off? What's the first question?
0: Okay, the first question of the five questions is, what is the best class in IFGS?
1: Hmm. I think this is a fixed
2: question. It's a trick question. Um, So this kind of relates to uh, what I was just talking about in terms of... uh, I guess, in a sense, metagaming. So so the answer wants to be knight. But my personal feeling, and, and keep in mind that I'm not super familiar with the, um, what is it, 7th edition of rules now? Sure, sure. But I would actually say that a druid is the most useful, druid. powerful class. Um, now, that may have changed with 7th edition, but between right. all of their spells and their ability to heal, and their so their versatility in a sense. I and,
1: think and they're actually the best class. Especially at high levels. I, I actually agree yes. with you. I think that, that Knight tapers out. It starts fairly powerful and it gets a little bit, not weaker, but definitely doesn't keep up where there's a couple other classes like Druid and, and Mage, and there's a few others that I think really sort of hook at the end, uh, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th level. And I think Druid is one of those.
0: I'm sorry that uh, you have both given an incorrect answer. Matt had it to begin with. The, the correct answer to
1: that is Knight. <laughs> So, okay, next question. Uh, what was your favorite game that you've ever either played in or NPC'd in?
2: So, let's see. I, I have a number of memorable games. I guess I'll mention two. Um, the first game was called Shadows of Destiny, and it ran in 1990. It was a tournament game, and it was a it was a two-day overnight game, so you got the whole overnight experience. Um Kevin Taylor was the producer slash writer of it. And it was just a fantastic game, both from my playing experience, the team I was on. I, I had just spent a year in Germany, so I hadn't played IFGS in a year. And I came back, and Dave McMillan drafted me onto his team, and, you know, like a day before the game. And we just had a great time as a team. Um, I felt like I did really good fighting and we fought well as a team, but the, the game itself was enjoyable. And then the second game that I'll mention is a game that Scott Van Kirk and Tony Fabrizio ran in 94. It was called Rude Awakenings, and surprisingly, it also was a tournament game. Um, this was the one where each of the teams, and I think there were about seven different teams, were NPCs, but they were essentially all players, uh, but they had uh, opposing goals, and, and there was you know, a storyline that ran through it. Uh, Tom Matthews is the big bad guy. Kim, my wife, was one of the other vampires. And there was a drow team, a gypsy team, a, you know, there were just all these different teams and they each had these counter-opposed goals. And it was fantastic because we got to do exactly what we wanted to. There was no real script.
1: Nice. I've heard so, a lot about this game, actually, throughout the years. It seems like it, it always comes up in a conversation when you're talking about sort of the good old days. Someone will talk about the team that they were on or, you know, uh, you know, encountering this other team, the Gypsy team, and how they were sort of acting. And, yeah, it's a lot of great memories, I think, with this game from, from what I can tell.
2: And it was also a pretty high production. Scotty spent months and thousands of his own dollars on building these really cool styrofoam flats. And, and just – it was – yeah – Night combat, um, all kinds of things. Everything that I love about IFGS.
0: Cool. Um, if your favorite character had to die, how would you want him to go out?
2: So, ironically, my favorite character did die. Twice. <laughs> was this our fault? Well, once it was your fault. Okay, um, so, yeah, Savar, who's my fighter, um, he, the first time he died, it was heroically, which is how I'd want to go out. Uh, at a game called Zorg, or maybe it was Star Zorg, it was in Oklahoma, sure. and I had to go into this portal and blow up this device that did like a thousand point blast to destroy the portal. And
0: I think that was course, uh, it... that was uh, the second Zorg game. Okay. Uh, yep. Yeah.
2: So very similar to um, Final Price, where we were trying to sort of close this portal or get out of this portal in the case, and, and there was sort of this running fight, which. Um, you guys watched that or were involved in that and uh, that that equally was enjoyable so if you know if I never play that character again which is likely um, I, I won't be dissatisfied
1: that was that was rough. Yeah, and
2: that, that character has died that way multiple times sort of holding back there was a I don't remember the name of the game but there was a bridge it was up on the hile and there was this bridge and we were being attacked by this massive group of people and he sort of he was the lore master and he stayed there and um, went down horribly mangled (laughs) but of course it's IFGS so you always get resurrected yeah
0: yeah Um, speaking of always get resurrected um, if there was one thing you could change about the IFGS what would it be
2: Uh, I only get one huh
0: just one (laughs) that's the hard part
2: um. OK, so so this is probably not the most popular viewpoint, but I would I would do a campaign to reset and nuke everybody's magic items and start from scratch.
1: I love this. And idea. You could,
2: or you could keep your magic items and your characters in the old world and just start a brand new world with brand new characters. But the, new, the old characters can't come into that new world. Hmm, sounds familiar, huh?
1: Okay, so last question: uh, If you could get one person, fictional or real, to play on your team, who would it be and why?
2: So I just listened to your last episode, and I think Izzy's answer to this was was a fantastic answer. But it was I, but really I good, but I can't I can't take that. But but the the idea behind his answer is is fantastic, which is to sort of get more recognition to our hobby. You know, get more respect for the hobby. Have you guys seen that? So you're that? saying
0: Ryan Seacrest is your answer. <laughs>
2: yeah, Justin Bieber. There uh, you go. Um, so Our next
0: yeah. show will be, what class would Justin Bieber play?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think somebody that, you know, has enough respect from people, but is still sort of geeky enough that they might do something like this, um, and did it, in an authentic way where they actually weren't making fun of it or, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think the, uh, the Nerdist uh, channel has been doing that Realm of LARP on YouTube. Have you checked that out? I haven't. I'll oh, have to look yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah it's they're basically good, following, away, following a LARP around and, and, and recording it. And the Nerdist, I mean, the people that are in charge of that, I sort of feel like are you know a lot like Felicia Day. They have a lot of respect sort of in the geek community. And right. I feel like they're bringing awareness without making so much fun of it, which is sort of, I think, the idea behind what you're saying.
2: Yeah, that's great. So I uh, so I didn't actually have a name to put to that because you know I was looking at that geek hier- hierarchy chart. If you've ever seen it,
1: it's it's like I don't a. I think uh, I have actually.
2: Uh, I'll have to post it to the Facebook page. It's it, up at the top is sort of fantasy authors, and then you go further down and you have fantasy uh, fans, and then further down role playing gamers, and then under that live action role playing gamers, yeah. and so forth, and very Game at markers. the very bottom is erotic furries (laughs) (laughs) they're they're sort of the very bottom of the geek hierarchy so anyway yeah i think any anyone that could bring sort of an understanding without making fun of it because that's the easy thing and you see that a lot of you know people running around uh, i don my cloak and uh, cast magic missile at the darkness sort of thing yes um so somebody who who would give that kind of respect to it and, and still bring, uh, you know, that, that cred, that geek cred, I
1: guess. So speaking of the geek hierarchy, this, uh, last weekend I was in, I was in Disney world running down there, running a marathon. And, uh, I was down there with a bunch of my friends who were also sort of Disney nerd, Disney nerds. And, uh, just, um, the sort of geekiness. I mean, basically these people are like go to Disney world all the time and they're really into it. And I had to admit to them that I LARPed. Uh, I hadn't told them, and I've known these people for a couple of years now, and definitely there was a little bit of questioning of, of the geek hierarchy there. Sure. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny.
2: I so, mean, I, I worked at a video game company, right, which is full of people who are very into that culture, and I, I didn't really tell them very much about LARPing, because even there it was sort of, you know, not frowned on, but it could be made fun of.
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. Okay, and uh, now we're sort of going to talk about in review what we've been up to and sort of what's going on with IFGS right now, and, and Matt's going to continue to join us for this. So uh, hopefully he has something to say at least about the the first one of these, which is fight casts. We uh, just recently posted a new fight cast this last Friday, and it was on it was with Staves, which uh, I think is pretty good, and, and hopefully we're uh, sort of focusing these a little bit better than we had been. So you saw the one on Staves, Matt? Uh,
2: I watched part of it. I did not watch the whole thing.
1: Oh, it's okay. It was basically just me being really crude, talking about thrusting a lot. So <laughs> I did, saw the it, comments.
0: It got bad.
1: I didn't realize how bad it was until after, uh, after the fact that I started watching it. So
0: it, we really need to forget how to record those in 3D. That would have been awesome.
1: Oh yeah, 3D camera. Yeah.
0: Um. We also have uh the fighting workshops. Uh, going on we've got one this friday mm-hmm. uh, it is fully booked up but um we're looking for, i'm really looking forward to that one i really enjoy
1: those and this one's going to be more advanced fighting is that correct and then yeah it's
0: i mean it's mid-level fighters but i think it's it we'll, we'll get some good stuff in we don't have any we don't have any novice fighters in this one so i, I think it's a much more homogenous group than the last one we ran
1: right um... and
0: my plan is the one after that will do mostly novice fighters it will be more of a novice class than a workshop
1: Good, good. Yeah, I think that's. I think that'll be really good right before the season sort of starts up. And then uh, sanctioning, uh, sanctioning's going okay. Our season for next uh, for next year for 2013 doesn't look quite as full as I'd like it. I've really been working hard, and and, and hopefully we got a few more people that will get games in. Um, we've got. Let's see, what are we sanctioning? Oh, I'm working on a, a VMR, a voluntary magic reset for one of Will's characters, his mage. And uh, how how is that uh, making that magic item list, Will?
0: It's really exciting, actually. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's like making it's like when I was a kid, right? And you'd be watching Nickelodeon and they'd have the, the contest, you know, and if you won the contest, then you got 30 minutes in Toys R Us, to grab whatever you
1: wanted. That's kind of how it feels. Oh, so Matt, how do you feel about VMRs?
2: So I guess I don't know exactly what that is. I can infer from the name. So it's you, fine. You choose. Go
1: basically, ahead. basically, what happens is is they said when the last blue book came out, they sort of had this policy, and they said any characters that um, you know can basically reset all of their treasure. And was, the idea, I think, was to get rid of some of these old broken magic items that may not fit. But well, could. it
0: was also to make uh, auditing easier, so they didn't actually have to check to see whether you had everything. You could just throw out everything you had and then come up with a list that they could sort of approve, and then you could prove you had it.
2: So you can pick your own items, or is there a list you can yeah. pick from?
0: No, it's supposedly there's supposed to be a menu of items you can pick from, um, but even then it says, and if there's anything else you want, you should just ask for it. And okay. since there's been no menu provided, so far, the three VMRs that I've seen have all just been, "I'm gonna build the crap out of this."
1: And gotcha. what I've noticed is, is uh, you can't do one shots, and people have used it. Actually, just...
0: that, I'm not sure that's true.
1: I, I I found the rule about it.
0: Oh, you did? Great. Because yeah. I, I could not find it.
1: Okay. And it's uh... funny because Will and I we 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 talk about this all the time. I have this weird moral thing against VMRing where I haven't done it yet, and and I could. I've got you know tons of cap. I could level up my characters, to do the exact same thing, but for some reason, I. I I sort of don't feel right about it, but Will has many reasons why he does feel okay about it. So we, we argue about this all the time. So maybe we'll have to devote a future podcast about the pros and cons of VMR.
2: Yep.
1: Um, and then the other, one of the other games that we're sanctioning, uh, amongst all of these is uh, a game of yours, Matt, actually we're, uh, re-sanctioning Tomb of the Goblin Slayer,
2: which is run about, I don't know, 20 or 30 times at
1: this, which is really cool. It didn't need much. I mean, I think the, the comments on it, we got it from Brett Halford resubmitted it. And the only comment, of substance I said there was he doesn't use the entire treasure budget so I said you might as well use the entire treasure budget and throw in some other treasure and then the second thing was um, the ratings are like physical high instead of a number which is the system that we use right now so I told him to convert them to numbers it was a really clean game it was nice to actually see a game come through that was that clean you know probably cause it's been run so many times but also I think you you're, you're a good writer in that way
2: yeah, I, when I set out to write that game, it was written as, you know, we, we have a bunch of novices who need a game, and I wanted to write a game that exposed them to sort of all of the typical aspects of IFGS. and
0: Don't, you know, don't tell me too much, because like I have it. never played it, and I'm actually looking forward to PCing that that's, game.
1: That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, so we've been writing. Actually, we haven't been writing. Been we have not been writing. Uh, Will's been working on his VMR. Uh, we've we got this sort of deadline of of getting our next bar game in for March or April, so we're working on that. Will's been working on the Nexus uh, series of games, but we haven't really been doing too much writing. And then I've got a game with Jeff Loats that I need to get my butt in gear and gear and, and really get writing on for next season, so... Writing sort of not going so well. We need to sort of up that, but I think a lot of the bulk of at least our games are done for the next season, which is pretty good. Uh, so why don't you tell us? Why don't we finish up and you tell us a little bit about the Nexus? It's a game that just wrote, uh, just ran, and I was gone actually. I was down in Florida, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the game.
0: So the Nexus is a plotless bar game, but um, it was super fun. I've had I had more fun in that game than I've had PCing, and I mean, in a while, it was it was a blast. Um part of it was the people who were there, you know we had miles and um and uh a couple other sort of n- newer players who you know added a lot of that sort of exuberant excitement um and I think he's gonna be really great to play with um we had some older players there to add sort of suspicion and suspense um they had the fighting ring downstairs, they had some gambling downstairs, they had puzzles for people to do it was just it was a really. It was really well done. It was. It was. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. I'm. I'm looking forward to. The, uh, supposedly they're running one every month. Yeah. Um. I'm both looking forward to, to to playing those and and just abusing the hell out of a once per month bar game.
1: I really would love to go in one of these, but I think uh, the date that Jonathan is sort of I know, target, you're gone again. I'm gone again. Yeah, I have another race that weekend, so I won't be able to make it. But uh, look for it in February. Hopefully the date will be published soon. I think the game's about 23rd, to 23rd, I think, 23rd. is the okay.
0: date they're looking at right now. Yeah, yeah,
1: so the game's about to go a sanctioning. So. Great, and uh, our last segment, uh, we have viewer mail. And Will, I believe we have uh, one piece of your mail that came in. So, uh, and I think this is a question that all three of us can answer.
0: All right. So, dear Battle College podcast, I love listening to you guys more than anything except yelling at my sister. Um, if you had to choose between playing a magic user, a cleric, or a druid, what would you pick and why? What three SIS do you think you would use most with the class you chose?
1: And that's from Canon Alexander. Absolutely. So, Matt, you want to start us out? Sure. Um, so, even though I said I
2: thought that the druid was the... <laughs> Most well-rounded class. I just have to go with my old standby, my my, you know, my cleric Flanor is my primary character when I think about myself playing i just. He's, so I he's also
0: our him. primary NPC, by the way. We. <laughs> I know we you guys have got to get game. me
2: to play him at some point. <laughs> you know, I asked somebody at the end of of Ultimate Price about what happened to Ology, and you know, I, I need to find out more about what happened to uh, Flanor and and the. Golden lines that
1: were hold up there. Oh, we'll try and we'll try and write something up maybe for the next uh, melee about that. Cool. So
2: and then the three SAS, was it three or two SAS? Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, okay. three. So obviously you're gonna use your E spell yeah. and your most powerful healing spell. Um but uh Wrath is probably the the other one that I would use ah. tactically. So You know, when I was a younger cleric I would use Fizz Pro a lot, but um you know, I started fighting more and more and you want to get out there and you want to actually hit people. You can't really have fizz pro up. So. Yeah. yeah, sure.
0: William? Mike? Okay, I'll go next. Okay. Um, well, so the answer for seven zero is Cleric. Um, and the 3-SAS I would choose is your E-Spell, of course, your most powerful um, healing spell. And then the other one would be whatever concentration toys you have. Because... As far as I can tell, a sword and shield cleric with concentration is pretty much the end of the game.
1: <laughs> Have you tried it yet? In in an I, I I haven't actually gotten to fight with it yet. I want I want to see how that combo
0: works. I've, yeah.
1: I've got one. Felina yeah. has one. I've
0: no. I guess
2: I've never been able to use it effectively.
0: Man, it just seems like you just press and press and press, and as soon as you get into trouble, you heal yourself yeah. and can't yeah. hurt your healing. That's yeah. a good
1: point. So, um, the,
0: Will, but like in you, a P,
1: okay. I feel like you're a- yeah. missing still another ability, though. Godspoon. Oh, yeah. Godspoon, God's of course. I mean, the, sorry. For us, at the least, game, you know, we, the now, now that we have the gold, the game. yeah, it's totally changed the way I play cleric, at least.
2: Well, you said I think on the last podcast that you took a bunch of cap for gold into a game as a cleric and just yeah, had spell points basically oh,
0: yeah. used the crap out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, you're you're absolutely right. If if it has to be your own your own SAS, then I would definitely go. In fact, I would probably do that before heal, since knights are better healers. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so in AAP, I would go magic user. Um, their offensive power is just something to behold. And for them, I would say, you know, the strike, the electrify, and concentration. So.
1: Okay, and for me, um <sighs> You know, I think Cleric is the most powerful out of the three in whatever, you know, AP or 7-0. I just think that Cleric is, is just incredibly useful, but they're, I find them a little boring to play. Um, yeah. Druid, as an underdog, I sort of like the idea of a druid. I think at high levels they're very versatile, but at low levels they're a little limited. I, I For myself, I have a mage. I would probably go with mage. And um, the three SAS that I would probably use the most, um, I think Electrify at low levels is a great ability. I think that it, it can really, uh, it can stop people very quickly, can leg them. It's just just incredibly useful. I think that uh, at middle levels, dropsy uh, can...
0: Oh yeah, uh, of course.
1: You know, if, if a game writer hasn't written a way to stop dropsy, it can totally change the tide of battle. It can, you know, nerf a, a very good fighter and really take them out. And if you've got the, the, sort of the teamwork with another player on your team, hitting them with the dropsy and having someone else jump on their butt is, is a great way to, to deal with that. And then probably the last one I would have to say is concentration for mage. At mid to high levels, concentration is is just so necessary. There's such glass cannons that you really need that sort of defense there.
0: I'd, I'd also say at high levels, we, we should mention Doug Shuler's favorite spell, which is auto-cast double effect 40-point blast.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was... Just spent 50
2: spell points right there.
0: Yeah, and he did it to us twice. Sure. Yeah, Legends was a fun game. Um, Yeah, so uh, I I think that's our viewer mail. Thanks, Canon.
1: Yep. Okay, well, uh, thanks everyone for joining us for Episode 3. And this was a little bit of a long episode, but I appreciate everyone uh, sort of tuning in. And uh, yeah, everyone have a great winter and uh, stay warm. And hopefully we'll have another episode here for you soon.
0: I wanted to say thank you very much to Matt Puccio for coming and visiting us today and letting us benefit from his... His sage advice you're welcome um, and actually, there was something I, I've been wanting to mention for the last couple um, podcasts, and that is um, if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear the intro and the outro and all the little um, musical interludes in the middle. Um, so most of that is uh, f- a song called Island, which was written by Michael Kelly. Um, so uh, he he graciously allowed us to use it and I, I wanted to make sure he got some credit in there. And I've been forgetting to do it for the last two podcasts. So,
1: Awesome. And Matt, cool. is there anything that you want to sort of plug or talk about that you're working on? or anything No, not at good? this point. Okay.
2: I, I've got a bunch of game stuff that I'm working on, but none of it's sort of ready for publication. So, Okay. Yeah, so I've heard a lot about industry. it.
1: And I, I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet, but uh, I'm sort of excited at, at giving uh, some of these a try sometime in the future. Yep. Cool. Great. Well, thanks all. And uh, yeah, this is episode three. Good night. Night.